Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor is going to distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You're tuning in to the online broadcast network, AfterBuzz TV. Over 20 million weekly downloads in over 150 countries and your number one source for after show entertainment. AfterBuzz TV. The destination for TV superfans. Producing aftershows for over 300 of your favorite TV shows. Interviewing celebrities and showrunners. And bringing you behind-the-scenes exclusives. All thanks to E! Entertainment's Maria Menounos, producer Kevin Undergaro, and internet leader Akamai. Now, let the buzz begin! Side inside out, living la vida loca. I can't think of a better song to talk about the party with the zeros. Can you? No, this is just <laughs> perfect nostalgia for me right here. Everybody is living la vida loca in the zombie apocalypse. In the, in the Pacific Northwest <laughs> region of Mexico. Yes, that is a fact. <laughs> Hello, AfterBuzz TV fans and Z Nation fans as well. Welcome to another episode of the Z Nation AfterBuzz After Show. Tonight we are talking about Season 2, Episode 12, Party with the Zeros. Woo! 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 Ain't no party like a zero party because <laughs> zero party is mandatory or you get shot. That is a fact. <laughs> also, don't perform any ventriloquism acts. Or mimes. No, no. Lorena doesn't like mimes. <laughs> no, that is that is a fact. Don't don't do that. Anyway, <laughs> joining me on the panel tonight is the lovely Michelle Cullen. Hello, everyone. What is up? You can find me on Twitter at Michelle underscore Cullen. It is my name. It's on a bunch of pieces of paper. <laughs> that so verify. hopefully it's right. That it is, in that fact, your name. That verify that that is, in fact, my name. <laughs> and I'm your guys' host, Megan Salinas. Uh, you guys can tweet at me directly at the Menguin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. We're also going to be keeping an eye on the hashtag ABTVZNation. As well as the live chat, if we can get that pulled up on the monitor at some point. At some point this evening, uh, director of this episode, Abram Cox, will be joining us, provided that internet connections and everything work out all right. Yes. So uh, please uh, bear with us in the event that that doesn't happen, because we have a lot of questions for him. This was a really fantastic episode. It was really good. And if you have any questions for Abram, he was the director of this episode and um, its counterpart, which is coming up next week. So please tweet at us using the hashtag ABTVZNation and we will make sure that we ask your questions. It looks like the song was a big hit in yes. the hashtag or on the live chat. <laughs> on the live chat, yeah. So. So, yes, we will be doing all of that fun stuff. And I want to know, what was your guys' favorite part of tonight's episode? Because there were a lot of good stuff tonight. Michelle, what was your favorite part? I think just on the quickest surface level, Doc's beard was <laughs> one of my one of my favorite moments. That was just, it was beautiful. <laughs> It was so great. But then on the more serious level, I really, really loved the the cinematography and the way that this episode was shot. I thought it had some really cool framing and lighting effects. Yeah, 100%. They, they, and we'll ask Abram about this when we get the chance. But yeah, they, they definitely wanted to be very distinct with certain aspects of the lighting for certain scenes. And mm -hmm. that was something that I noticed right away that was very apparent. And I love when Z Nation does that. It sets, it sets the episode apart. And when, because television is so quick, especially this show with the way that it's produced, the fact that they take the time to do something artistic and different, it really does stand out. And I really appreciate it. Yep. And I think it's just been improving with each episode every, every episode um, for the last couple of episodes have had, have had these scenes, excuse me, where I just, I'm kind of blown away by how beautifully it's shot and put together in post. And I just think it's fantastic that it keeps one-upping itself in that manner. So I'm really excited for the next, what is it, three episodes to get us to the end? Yeah! And uh, I gotta say, like, the, the fact that the last time we had a two-parter, it was the season finale. I'm, I, I yelled at the T, I yell at the TV she anytime. <laughs> Because it's like to be continued, and I'm like, God dang it, that's not fair. I, I want it know. now. 
Uh, probably for me, my favorite part was just actually getting to meet La Reina, or I'm just going to call her the queen because it's been seven years since I've taken Spanish, <laughs> and I apologize, guys. I am a terrible Mexican, and I don't speak a word very, very well, so I'm just going to call her the queen for All right, now. the queen. You can yep. call her Queen B. Queen Bee, yeah. And how great was that uh, That little shot of the bee in the rose garden? Because that's Hi. exactly what she is. Yes, she is the Queen Bee. And I thought that that was a powerful shot because you have um, scientists and different articles published that say, like, when the bees start going extinct, that is going to be the end of the world. So to have them cross the border into Mexico and to immediately see just a lone shot of a bee at a rose, it's like it's not really the end of the world and this is a very poignant and powerful message of, you know, it's, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with that. I liked it. I thought it was powerful. Well, well not like the fact, and the fact that she refers to herself as hope, too. You know, the bees are still around them. There's hope for the world. Yep. But also the fact that bees can be deadly in, in the same way that roses have thorns. Uh, the queen here is presented as somebody who is very dangerous and not to be trifled with. And I had a lot of questions when we finally met her because I had a lot of questions about who she was before we ever met her. And now that we've met her, we still don't know much about her mm-hmm. as a person and why she is in the position that she's in. Anybody who can command El Scorpion. Yeah. As though it's not a big deal. Because this is, again, he is, he is terrifying. He's he is the type a very of formidable man. That pulls out a gun in the middle of a party and shoots a ventriloquist before the act even starts. Yep. There could have been some good jokes in we there. We will never know. <laughs> we'll just never know. No. I, I've, I I do have to wonder, like, who was in charge of, like, assigning the entertainment the for the party? Yeah. Because th- I, I would feel like somebody would take this guy aside and just go, no, no, just don't. You just shouldn't don't. do it. And it's like, no, really, this is my moment. I feel it. <laughs> this is my dream. Feel it. I've been practicing. I can throw his voice across the room. I got this. <laughs> it's great. Never got a chance. No, no, he didn't. But so somebody like El Scorpion, who will shoot and kill somebody without a second thought and is totally content with torturing somebody to get the information that they need, essentially ruling with an iron fist, how is it that this person, anybody, would be able to tell him what to do, especially somebody who... I, she's very reserved. In, like, everything she says and does feels very deliberate. I think she definitely weighs everything that she says before she speaks, and there's really no in-between with what she says. I think we got an um, insight to that with Vasquez being like, take no, take the deal. Like, the, <laughs> you take the bounty, you're going to die. Exactly. Yes, it's... She She's very intriguing, and I want to know who she was before the zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. And Because it sounded like she was already the head of this cartel. And correct me if I'm wrong, viewers, but it sounded like she was the head of the cartel before the world went to hell. So, like, that's an interesting story of how this woman was able to climb the ranks and become the head of this major cartel that is probably the only thriving organization that's currently left, at least in North America, in the zombie apocalypse. Yes. Yeah. And I think we we watched it together, so we had the discussion of she wants to distribute the cure, and she's probably one of the few people in the world that has the means to distribute the cure, and it's kind of like, okay, when we hear cartel, we kind of automatically go to illegal and bad. Um, but then... <laughs> yes, bad. Um, bad, then, bad. Drugs bad. <laughs> drugs bad. Uh, but then we, you know, we have this opportunity where she thinks that she can distribute the cure. She thinks Dr. Curian is going to create it with the Murphy there, even though we all know as viewers that that's not the plan for them. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll yeah. get to that. <laughs> um, but then it leaves you questioning, like, is it really bad if they use their means of distribution for good yeah here's here's the question we 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 are posing uh, to both ourselves and to you guys is the morality of this plan because is a drug cartel assuming that dr curian actually did make the cure which as you mentioned totally not but assuming that a cure was created by the zeros and if they were the ones distributing out 
to the world to theoretically get the world back to the way it was, is that any worse than if a government entity was the one doing it? Because the government was the one experimenting on prisoners without their consent and doing going to any means necessary to try to stop the zombie apocalypse, even at the cost, uh, at at any cost. Yes, they did it for the greater good. And what my take on it was that, in theory, it's not terrible in terms of distributing out the vaccine. The problem is, is that this organization rules with an iron fist. Mm-hmm. So that they are, they are as bad, if not worse, than like a totalitarian government regi- regime. Yes. So, in my mind, like, because, again, she's a very interesting character, and this, I think, centers back towards her and what she really wants from the zombie apocalypse, and what she wants is to be the queen of this new world order, where she is, she is literally the queen, and so, to be the queen, you know, you have to have an army, you have to have all sorts of different means to keep yourself in power. And that's Mm -hmm. the problem that a lot of leaders come across. And so in wanting to create this new organization, she's willing to, again, have somebody like El Scorpion who is willing to do whatever it takes to maintain power. Yep. Which I think is a very good thing to point out that he's kind of the face of the ruthless side, whereas she can maintain a, a sense of compassion for her people. And so... She rules with an iron fist, but even though she's ordering the brutal things that end up happening or she condones or supports them, you know, Mm -hmm. she's indifferent to a ventriloquist getting shot right in front of her. (laughs) She's like, okay, clean it up. Who's next? Oh, Um, yeah, fine. Take him away to get tortured. It's not that big of a deal. That's ruining the party. It's an interesting thing because you, you don't really see her as an evil entity because you are able to see her compassionate side. And it's weird. It's a very delicate balance that she strikes being in charge. Yeah. Uh, and even even if she wasn't the head of a cartel, I mean, any leader has to make tough decisions, mm-hmm. especially in this world. Nobody who's alive in the zombie apocalypse has, you know, everybody who's alive at this point has blood on their hands in some way, shape, or form. So you really shouldn't be that surprised. But it's so funny that you point out that she does have this warmth. And to her... She is a symbol of hope for everybody, while El Scorpion is very much a militant general, but she is seemingly like this compassionate queen, um, you know, a source of hope. She is essentially the, I don't want to call her like a motherly figure, but that's what she kind of presents herself as, especially with a lot of like the costumes. You get a little bit of like the Virgin Mary sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, going on with some of her costume stuff. So, like, she's, like, trying to be everybody's mother, but at the same time is totally content with killing people if it's convenient. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very interesting. We want to know what you guys think. Uh, so uh, what do you guys think of the queen and whether or not she would be a queen of the New World Order? You know, what kind of organization that would be? Because we know that... Everybody who has plans, best laid plans, especially with our crew coming in, those plans are going to fall apart in some yeah. way, shape, or form. So, yeah, that's going to be fun to watch, I think. If, if you get a little too greedy, you become Napoleon. Exactly. And you kind of stretch yourself thin. Alexander the Great, you know, he, yeah. he stretched his reach too far. We do have a question from the live chat, and I apologize, I can't read the name. But uh, they brought up that it's very interesting that Va- um, that El Scorpion didn't recognize Vasquez. And it's very interesting, and they want to know what that's all about. So do we want to kind of jump ahead to, to Vasquez and El Scorpion? I think we could, yeah. Yeah, so... Vasquez has his own agenda this entire episode. Um, and we'll, we'll jump back and forth. But yeah, let's talk about Vasquez. In this episode, he kind of comes to deduce, and I don't know if he knew this beforehand or if this just kind of confirmed the suspicion that he always had that El Scorpion is the one responsible for his family's death. And we find out in this episode that, in fact, he wasn't lying. He was telling the truth Mm -hmm. with what happened to his family and that El Scorpion is, in fact, the one who killed them. And so he makes a move and gets thwarted by Warren. 
and gets himself into a very precarious situation as a result. He gets tortured and then at the end gets kind of offered up as a volunteer for Curian's experiment. So I the the question of like El Scorpion not even recognizing him, I think that's a very interesting thing to point out because he I mean he might have recognized him and just didn't care. Or he didn't recognize him because El Scorpion does stuff like that every single day. And it was just that unimportant to him. It was, you know, the most terrible thing that happened to Vasquez was just another, another day, day in the life of El Scorpion. And I agree with that completely, I think. Because I don't recall exactly when it happened, Prezi, but it did happen when he was still a DEA agent um, working on the case. And then, you know, we're in year four of the zombie apocalypse. So a lot of time has passed since this happened to Vasquez. And like Megan said, it was a game changer for him. Like, it completely changed his life. He lost his family in the span of a minute um, by someone who is probably very used to killing and very comfortable with it and doesn't feel a lot of remorse um, for that those types of situations where you're killing women and children. Uh, I will say I don't think he knew it was a scorpion at first because there was a very deliberate shot where he was looking at one of the Zero's arms, forearms, mm-hmm. just to see if it had the tattoo because that's all he remembered, all he had to go off of. Yeah, because um, that, um, El Scorpion was wearing a mask. Yep, and the first hint of recollection is actually when they're in the cage and they have to pass the initiation test, if you will. Um, to become a zero by killing a bunch of zombies. And El Scorpion says a line that he said during the interrogation where he ended up killing the wife and child. He says the exact same line, and it triggered the memory. memory, And then we see him later in his beautiful shirt uh, with the sleeves (laughs) rolled up, and it confirms everything uh, for Vasquez. And I think it flips that switch where he was very mission-oriented and just focused on a goal um, entirely to vengeance, which is very emotionally driven. And I think that's why he kind of lost his cool and just wanted it done as quickly as possible. Yeah. And again, Vasquez uh, was, he was so dead set on doing this that he, like, he, t- and to be fair, Al Scorpion wasn't looking. It was probably at the moment during the party where he was at his most vulnerable and conceivably after the party, Vasquez wouldn't have gotten a chance. So I can sort of understand where he's coming from. But at the same time, it was it was a very reckless move, especially yep. without consulting Warren and the rest of the group. So it, it does kind of solidify the fact that he is still not really a member of the team. Mm-hmm. He is a very still an ancillary part of it. And I'm hoping that after this whole incident that he does more firmly become a member of the group, either because he's gotten his revenge or he learns how to move past it. One of the two. Yeah. So, uh, with, but the other thing I want to point out is that, yeah, <laughs> El Scorpion was so, like, he's so far removed from this situation that when he sees a gun pointed at his head, he thinks it's pointed at, at his queen. Yep. Like, that's like, how no. little he thought of Vasquez and this incident four years ago. Like, literally, he has a gun pointed at his head from the man <laughs> that he and, murdered his wife and child and he still thinks that it's not about him. Like, that's how little and far removed he is from this whole thing. Yeah. And that's... <sighs> he is a monster. Just, you kind of gotta wonder how much he's done. Yeah. Like, again, he kills people without a second thought as we've seen time and time again. Mm-hmm. He is not a patient man. So, yeah, it's it's a very interesting facet of his personality that, like, he wouldn't even remember... Uh, did you ever see the Street Fighter movie? Um, but yeah, there's a line that Bison says. He's like, the day I invaded your village, it was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. <laughs> and that Ooh. kind of applies to El Scorpion here. Yes, it does. So that's very interesting. So I, I do want to talk, not to jump around too much, but I do want to talk about this opening scene where they're storming, uh, where they're at the border. And yes. they're what what looks like hanging out at the border wall, which anybody who's been to the border, it doesn't necessarily look like that. So <laughs> yeah, and we were kind of joking, like, is this a world where Donald Trump became the president and built <laughs> a giant wall? wall? <laughs> Did, he? Did he build the wall? 
That's, uh, yeah, I hope that's not the case. Because, But, you know, if Donald Trump did become president, I would want the zombie apocalypse to happen. I... <laughs> political stance yep. that we've taken on this. Yep. But I, I did very much appreciate, even though I couldn't quite figure out where this was supposed to be in terms of, like, if this was a border patrol agency or what, but it is essentially... Yeah something that the Zeros have adopted as, like, their compound and a part of their yes. headquarters. And I wanted to know, what'd you guys, what did you think of this cool action sequence that we had as an introduction to this episode? I thought it was interesting, um, just because in previous episodes they were trying to avoid going south into Zero territories, so the fact that they made it to the border and they found themselves in a the precarious situation at what I am going to assume is um, a military compound along the border. That's the only thing I can take away that, from... That they appropriated yeah. it, right? Um, I I found it intriguing that they wound up there, and it just so happened to be the part of the wall where El Scorpion pops open a door and says, come with me if you want to live, basically. <laughs> like, come with me if you want to live. Which, he, he pointed out that he found them for because they've been looking for the movie, but he they had this little drone, drone. with a camera on it that got taken out by a zombie. Which was really fun. It was just adorable. It was silly. <laughs> it's silly. Although it's kind of funny that there are still drones in the zombie apocalypse. Just flying around. Right, well, they probably use... The zombie energy to charge yeah. their rechargeable batteries now, and just fly the drone around. That is a very interesting scene when they're walking through the underground tunnels and El Scorpion is showing them how they have like generated power because El Scorpion very much points out that, you know, with I guess a sort of lack of currency, or maybe there is currency. It's it's still a debate <laughs> whether or not there's currency, but that resources are what wars are fought over now, and resources are the most important thing in the zombie apocalypse. Yep. And the the um, the zeros have found a way to sustain themselves by producing their own energy through zombie compost, which. In theory, is genius. Yeah. Like, you're taking a bad situation making the best out of it. Absolutely. And very much, like... But, like, Murphy's reaction when they were walking by it, because he is... Uh, I don't want to call him Force-sensitive, but he's zombie-sensitive. He can yeah. sense what other zombies are going through. That must be, like, a living hell for any zombie, you know, that, that is in one of those yeah. compressor doodads. Yes. And I think... We're supposed to derive comfort from assuming that they can't feel it or they don't understand what's happening to them. But then we have someone like Murphy who can, you know, tell us differently. And I think that that's an interesting thing that the show presents is having someone who can kind of feel what the zombies feel because it makes you question what you're willing to do mm -hmm. in this type of situation um, and what the ramifications of that really could be. Yeah, and a question that keeps coming up in Z Nation time and time again is whether or not there's any ounce of humanity left in zombies. Because in most zombie lore, the person is just gone. Mm -hmm. There's nothing left of them, just this endless drive for hunger. But we've seen a little differently in Z Nation. We've seen varying degrees of humanity, especially when science is brought into the equation yep. in some way, shape, or form. So the idea that they're not people anymore... Then there is no moral question. It's just like, you know, there, it's just something we have to do for our resources. But if there is still a bit of a person in there, that brings up, that makes this 100% not okay. Yep. And whether or not, like, again, a person can be brought back from being a zombie if there is a way to sort of fix that. And, we don't necessarily know if there is yet. That's something that we're going to have to figure out later on down the line. Yep. That just reminded me that I haven't seen Warm Bodies still. You and haven't? I really want to. I know I'm the worst. It's But I was like, that has happened before. <laughs> Where has that happened before? Oh yeah, in the movie I haven't the seen. The power yet. of love, guys. <laughs> the power of love. That's what the zombie apocalypse is missing. It's That's just the real the power moral. of love. I will say, Warm Bodies is very cute, but there are certain scenes where you're like, this is weird. This is weird. I don't know how I feel about this. <laughs> and it's great because it's it's basically Romeo and Juliet, because the main yeah. zombie, his name is R. Oh. 
the main girl is named Julie. And the more and more you watch it, you're like, this is just Romeo and Juliet, isn't it? I get it. That's what R stands for. The one's already dead. It's a little different. (laughs) Yep. Anyway. Anyway, (laughs) that is a completely different discussion for another day. I actually want to take a moment... Uh, I want to take a moment to talk about iTunes. So if you'll forgive me for a moment. uh, Boop. I'm going to pull up our iTunes messages. And because we got a couple comments and I want to point that out. Um, We got uh, from Destiny Dash Morna. And I apologize if I'm mispronouncing this. This is a great podcast. Uh, they say great podcast, awesome panel, five stars. This is a great podcast mainly because the panel is enthusiastic about the show and genuine fans. It's fun to geek out together. They also get such great guests such as Cassandra, 10K, Vasquez, and just recently they had Dr. Curian. It's like getting an inside peek of the show. It does make me nervous when I hear a main cast member is going to be on. It usually happens after their death. <laughs> great job. I look forward to this podcast every week. Don't miss it. That is a fair concern. That is. And then we also have Thank You by Stache Fight. And again, I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that. This podcast gets me through my Mondays. Thank you. Thank you. And that is insanely sweet. So thank you guys so much. Thank you. Leaving iTunes comments is the best way to let the producers know that you guys like the show that we're putting on. And it just makes our day when we hear something so sweet. So please go to iTunes, rate, leave a comment. We want to hear from you guys. Yes, please. Yes, please. Thank you so much. And I want to apologize, guys. It sounds like we're having a little bit of trouble. Um, it sounds like Abram is having trouble getting a hold of us. I think he had the wrong studio number. So we're trying to work that out with Katie, who is not here. <laughs> um, so, yes. Basically, we are doing our best to get a hold of him. Yes. Uh, anywho, uh, if... Anyway, let's let's go back to what we were talking about because we met Larania. Um, I I do want to talk about the initiation into the the zeros because Warren is left in this very precarious situation. <laughs> I I love this scene. She picks up the brass knuckles and it's just like you know she is not going to take shit from anyone. Um, especially when they cut back to the moment where she's looking up at El Scorpion and they kind of lock eyes and she does the the nose swipe thing with the knife in her hand and you can just tell she's exhausted, she's tired, she's over dealing with this crap and they're so close to California that they just keep running into things where they have to like play it by ear and she's just like, fine, what do you need me to do? Yep. <laughs> and, and then and then Addie being true second in command is like, I got this first one. Like round one comes out, one zombie, she takes care of it and then, yeah. Yeah, and I love the fact that, like, all the, the the zeros were, like, taking bets on who was going to make it out. It's like, guys, you were betting on the wrong people. Yes. Um, We might actually have Abram on the line now. Hello, Abram, can you hear us? Um, this is he right here. Hi, Hello. how are you doing tonight? I'm doing pretty darn good. How about you guys? Did you have a good Thanksgiving? We did. Yeah, it was good. How about you? I did actually. I uh, I got to sit around and have uh, vegetarian uh, Thanksgiving. Half the table was uh, was all set up for that, and then half the table was set up for, you know, carnivore pleasure. And, uh, <laughs> and it was good. It was great, actually. So yeah, it was a, it was a good time in the OK Corral, you could say. Very nice. <laughs> what do you have in lieu of turkey if you have a vegetarian Thanksgiving? I had two helpings of mashed potatoes and then another two helpings of, of apple pie, which translates to I've got a lot of swimming to do. <laughs> mashed potatoes is always a good call. Oh, that is my favorite Thanksgiving dish. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was it was excellent. It was excellent all around with a sweet potato souffle, so you Ooh, can't go wrong. Very nice. This is making me real hungry. Yep. Um, okay, <laughs> so to move on from how food. delightful Thanksgiving was and food, um, you were the director of this episode and also the co-producer of the show, correct? That is correct. I, uh, I directed this one, and um, you will see next week the second part, which uh, I also directed, and it's... Uh, Hopefully you guys dig it. <laughs> <laughs> so we we noticed while we were watching that there were some very specific artistic choices um, in terms of the 
in terms of cinematography. Um, and the two that stood out to us were uh, the lighting for a lot of Vasquez's scenes. And we wanted to ask, what was what was the inspiration for those things? Um, you know, and specifically in the Vasquez scene, I'm, I'm assuming you mean uh, uh, which part? Because I'm, I'm afraid to say too much only because... <laughs> I know that if I slip up, I'll, <laughs> I'll give details away for next week's episode, and I can't really do that. So The chip in your brain <laughs> will explode, and sci-fi will ensure that you will never speak again. Oh, gosh. Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Exactly. Exactly. So specifically, which part do you mean? Uh, the flashback with his family, um, which the lighting was very much purple, and then the scene with him and El Scorpion, uh, the torture scene where the lighting was entirely blue. I was wondering why why those specific color choices? Well, you know, when they enter into um, into the world of the Zeros, uh, it's it's kind of like a Wizard of Oz moment. So we go into a place where there's more color, even when we're in their worst areas, like their torture chamber. And uh, really, we were creating a dynamic difference between the throne room, which, if you notice, is mostly yellows and reds and blacks, and then the torture chamber, which is very blue. Actually, it's very cyan, kind of a, a blue with a hint of green to it. And then um, when you go into the um, the laboratory, it's very green and red. So we're trying to, uh, and in the flashback, it's the opposite of the torture chamber in, in the sense that you've got a, a deep, you know, like you said, it's a very, very blue-blue, almost like a purple, and uh, and yellow or gold, almost, almost an orange. And... Um, it's kind of opposite of what you see in the uh, in the, uh, the the torture chamber. So it's kind of all meant to play off of complementary colors bouncing you back and forth uh, throughout the episode, um, and it's meant to kind of uh, uh, keep you on your toes as to who's you know um, who's emotionally going to go where in the next segment. <laughs> so that's kind of the idea behind it. I like that. It was something that was very distinctive. And uh, another, well, not to jump back and forth too much, but I, I wanted to know, as co-producer of the show, what initially drew you to Z Nation? Is it something that you were a part of from the very beginning, or it was something that the asylum approached you about? How did you get involved? I wish I could take that much credit that, <laughs> that I was that, you know, uh, integral to it. No, actually, last year I, I came on board as a director uh, for episode 107, um, which was Welcome to the Fubar. Yeah. And yes. uh, had a great experience, and I was very fortunate that uh, Carl Schaefer and uh, John Hyams uh, and um, Jody Benstock and Steve Graham, the leaders of our troop, uh, you know, said, hey, look, we want you to come back and we want you to have a more active role in the second season. So, um, you know, showed up and got to work and rolled up the sleeves and, you know, started started uh, started going uh, going full full bore on this. One. So that's, that's kind of how it all happened. Do you think of yourself as a director first and then a producer, or a producer first, then director, or is the, there kind of a blurry line between the two? Definitely a director first and a producer second, for sure. Yeah, my my primary experience is, is directing, even though I've had, you know, many experiences producing. Um, it's uh, Producing is, is, a, is a skill that, uh, that uh, I've been fortunate to learn over the last few years um you know whereas directing is a skill that i've had the opportunity to practice for for several years now so it's it's uh it's definitely the second you know the second in the wearing of hats i'd say yeah especially um when when you are directing an episode as well and you've directed several episodes this season uh is it difficult trying to mitigate those responsibilities as you're switching between the two hats no, not at all. Not at all. We have a lot of checks and balances on the show, you know. Um, 
and uh, and it's really it's really great because we all take our you know we all take our our primary um, direction from our showrunner and uh, executive producer and creator uh, Carl Schaefer who you know he's he's really good about articulating hey this is what I want out of this episode and and this is what I expect at the end of the day and and we we are out there trying to make that happen and you know raise the bar and impress him and if you can get a a good laugh out of him and uh, and it sounds sort of almost like a um, evil overlord laugh. <laughs> it means you did really well. <laughs> I love that. That's the bar. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I think he would find that pretty amusing and pretty accurate. He, uh, he, you know, when he gets there's a certain laughter that if you get out of him, you you realize, okay, I did all right on that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, we uh, to to bring it back to this episode um we've got a lot of questions on the hashtag regarding the the group's makeover yes this episode and we wanted to know what was uh what was the inspiration for their various costume changes this episode you know i i i always give credit where credit's due and uh jen derwinson was adamant that we were going to do the wizard of oz she's the writer of the episodes and she was quite adamant about like wanting to do the uh the wizard of oz and i was like that's totally totally cool and um so as we looked at photos uh it was kind of applying each of the wizard of oz characters to one of our characters um you know as you can imagine the cowardly lion is more or less dark (laughs) (laughs) with his beard that's beautiful oh my goodness yeah and um <laughs> you can just take it from there. There's a blend on from there. I mean, I would say I would say Addie's the ten man, but that's just me. Uh, then again, I I mean maybe I'm biased because she has a highly polished spiked club, but um, you know. So, uh, who would ten K be? Because uh, for for a moment, he he looks like a deer in the headlights throughout most of this episode. He just looks supremely yeah, uncomfortable. Actually. Oh yeah, yeah. I would, I, I would almost want to say that 10K is somewhat of a of a strange version. He and Warren probably share the responsibilities of Dorsey. <laughs> I'd say, uh, you know, Warren is Dorothy's more vigilant side that's out to you know take care of everyone, and she's I on a quest. Say 10K is more of the side which is uh, which is you know the freaked out i'm in awe <laughs> lions and tigers and happening? bears oh my oh my exactly <laughs> so would that make dr curry and the man behind the curtain Ooh. uh you know i don't know if dr curry would be the man behind the curtain or if if murphy would see himself as the guy who's becoming the wizard you know i mean it's uh that's that's a tough one but i guess you could say that he would fancy himself that for sure <laughs> Uh, he definitely would fancy himself that it's uh, you know <laughs> there's some there's some fun stuff in store for you on the next installment. With, oh, I'm uh, so excited! After spring, for sure. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, do you want to ask any questions about the makeup? Or? Yeah, what did you kind of leave the makeup choices up to Corinne and the rest of the makeup team, or did you really collaborate a lot on uh, Day of the Dead makeup and kind of bringing to the forefront that culture in this episode? Well, there was a there was a huge amount of collaboration going on that uh, with that. Um, there was, uh, you know, Corinne, you know, brought a bunch of great ideas to the table. Uh, Jen and I brought a. Uh, several ideas to the table, several references to the table. And, um, you know, on top of it, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, Gina was bringing ideas to the table. So it was a, it was definitely a, uh, um, a full, well-rounded collaboration on that front, you could say. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was exciting. And, you know, I love that kind of makeup style anyway. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of, celebrating the day of the dead so therefore you know it was just it was like being a kid in a candy store more than anything else oh i can imagine it, yeah it looked really really good all of the different levels of um detail going into not only the main characters but even the extras just there was a lot 
of attention paid to the entire scene overall, and I thought that that was really awesome. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. It's always good when the details get appreciated. Yeah. Yeah, no, the costuming choices were just fantastic. Yeah. And uh, Alicia Perez on Twitter comments that uh, she wants to know if everybody thinks that Murphy looks a little bit like a blue Smurf mariachi. <laughs> and I, I was going back and forth, mariachi <laughs> or uh, or bullfighter. I think with the with the cape, it was a little bit more of a bullfighter. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Yeah, he's definitely the matador. That's for sure. And in <laughs> fact, uh, that that outfit was one that we all really. You know, we all really pushed for because um, the minute I saw it, it's, you know, give kudos to Ashley Russell, our costume designer this season. She's pretty amazing. Um, The minute I saw that, I was just like, oh, my God, it's perfect. And she goes, yeah, right? I was hoping you'd like it. (laughs) Otherwise, otherwise I was going to have to really bring it to your attention, like, copious times. I was like, no, 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 no. You just have to bring it once. This is is good to go. This is perfect. So, was Keith excited yeah. to wear it? You know, he was beyond stoked to wear it. That's Keith awesome. saw it, and Keith was like, "Yes, we are definitely wearing it." You know, and it was one of those things where you, uh, you know, you you just you look at it and you know it's perfect. You know, in fact, it, I have to admit, it was it was a scheduling conversation with the uh, assistant director Esther Johnson on how to schedule three costume changes in a single day. And literally the whole schedule for shooting that costume on that day was built around, you know, the, the, the uh, costume changes that would incur. And that's a big deal on a show like this. Trust yeah. Me. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of ties into my next question. Um, and you can relate it to, to filming these, this series of episodes, um, because they're kind of one continuous story. But what's the most difficult aspect of directing any given episode of Z Nation? Is it the time constraints or is it scheduling, things like that? Most definitely the time constraints. We, uh, we work on, um, we work on uh, six-day schedules. So we, uh, we shoot for six days. We do minimal pickups after that. And we post the episodes fairly quickly. Um, so it's an incredibly tight turnaround from prep to, you know, prep to, to final result. Um, and, uh, basically that right there kind of creates the, the, the fire. I don't know exactly what words I can and can't use on your show, but that creates the fire. Incentive. Motivation. Yes, exactly. So, um, you know, it's it's uh, it's definitely one of those kind of situations where you're you're highly aware of of what it is that that you can and can't do for, um, you know, for it, within the time constraints. And um, yeah, so it's it's that's our probably our greatest challenge, and I think every director kind of kind of would agree with that. It's sort of you know. If you come onto this show as a director, you are going to leave leave it carved out of leave it carved out of wood, as they would say in Fight Club, because uh-huh. it is it is by far the most challenging schedule you'll ever shoot on. Well, and I imagine for especially for episodes like these, where there is such great attention to the artistic detail involved, that that must be be even more challenging with such a tight turnaround schedule. Oh, 100%. I mean, you've got a full team and everybody is really constantly thinking about it. And we do large graphs and charts for the whole season on whiteboards to try to be able to, you know, see what's coming as best as possible so that when we do get to uh, a section in the the schedule where it's going to be a lot of, um, you know, a lot of attention to you know, costumes or a lot of attention to vehicles or whatever the case may be, that we have that sort of figured out and that department head has time to start to, you know, kind of wrap their head around it. Um, and um, and also it's, it's uh, in that kind of fast-paced environment, there's something to be said about being able to think on your feet and on top of it being able to plan. So you go in with as much of a plan as you can and then 
when you get there, you generally adjust very quickly. So there's a combination of, uh, of strategic planning and improv that all rolls <laughs> into it. Yeah, you can't go in without a plan, but you, you have to be prepared for when the plan falls apart. Yeah, you can't be so rigid that <laughs> this doesn't work. Exactly. As, as Spielberg said in, in a quote, he said, uh, let spontaneity be your bunkmate. <laughs> very, very wise words. I like that. I like that, too. I, I do also want to ask a question about Lorena's introduction, because we we meet her, and then we, she kind of takes everybody through what kind of looks like this Garden of Eden, this rose garden. And I feel like there were some very specific symbolism choices. At one point, there's a shot of a rose, and but also a bee. And I was wondering, was that meant to symbolize that she is the queen bee of this organization? Or I kind of want to know a little bit more about that particular scene. Now, I wish I could tell you I planned all of that because that sounds brilliant. (laughs) But I'll tell you the true story behind that scene. That scene initially took place in the throne room and she was supposed to walk down the stairs. Um, However, we were shooting and in trying to juggle our schedule around. I can't remember the exact specific detail that occurred where we needed to move a few things around. And Jen looked at me and she's like, well, we could shoot the uh, the Queen's introduction in the Rose Garden. And I was like, yeah, we sure could. And I turned to um, our B camera operator, whose name is Fetty or Federico. And I just looked at him and he and I kind of have a shorthand of, of getting... Uh, inserts and I looked at him and I said Teddy uh, time to go get some Teddy specials why don't you start down in the Rose Garden beforehand and we'll meet you down there in about five minutes (laughs) and Teddy Teddy looks over at me and he goes you got it okay cool so he starts shooting a bunch of stuff and uh, and I walk down to start the blocking with the actors and I look at Teddy and I'm like so you know we're going to do another sweep of this you know roses etc cetera, etc cetera. and he looked at me and he winked and he goes I got you some good stuff you're going to you're going to get in the cutting room and you're going to be happy and I was like I, I like it when you tell me that Fetty, that's I trust awesome <laughs> so, so really thank you Fetty that's, for that that's deep. how it rolled okay. and then when we got into the cutting room of course I was looking at the footage and, and I saw the bee and I saw that and I just was like oh my goodness it's <laughs> awesome <laughs> and, perfect yeah so I would like to say that we planned it all but sometimes spontaneity is your bunkmate, and and that was an, a, a, a prime example on the show where spontaneity was the bunkmate. <laughs> That's awesome. That is fantastic. Uh, <laughs> that is just awesome. Um, we we don't want to keep you too much longer uh, because we we know time is very precious, and that your production schedule is just absolutely crazy. Do you have any more questions before uh, before we start wrapping up a little bit? Did we ask? Forgive me. Um, did we ask about the opening scene? The no, okay. we didn't. That's my one question. Then, um, Abram, is where was the opening scene shot, and was the wall entirely superimposed, or did you find a location that had some of that? Um, Kind of what made well, there there is a large aluminum plant that is semi abandoned out here uh, called Kaiser. And um, when I first got up here and sort of found out from Carl, hey, look, just so you know, I know you don't you you haven't read the scripts yet, and I know that you're you're going to be focused on two hundred six before you move into two twelve two thirteen. I just want you to know that there's this specific location I want you to consider for the wall. So we drove out and I looked at it and I was like, wow, that's, that's pretty awesome. And um, we were pretty much trying to keep it as practical as possible. So the opening, uh, the opening sequence is mostly practical. Um, it's, it's truly, and I, and I mean this 100%, it's truly my homage to Mr. John Hyams' uh, episode 202. So hopefully, uh, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it is a, it is an inspirational homage to to John, um, and uh, it was one of those things where we just you know we hardcore went into it with the idea of you know the the goal is to show how the team works together like a military unit and why they would be able to survive as long as they have in the apocalypse, and um, that was kind of. That's kind of the long and the short of it on that one. 
All right. Nice. That's fantastic. Well, again, we, we won't keep you too long, but do you have any other upcoming projects that uh, you'd like to talk our viewers to know about? Well, it's, you know, uh, big uh, excitement going on. You know, as you know, uh, I'm pretty sure everybody knows this. Z Nation has season three. Yes. So. Which makes me so happy. That's uh, that's happening, and um, you know, coming back for that, and that'll be a lot of fun. Uh, and then um, uh, also, um, you know, next week, two thirteen, you guys get to see the conclusion of two twelve, um, and uh, in or as it says at the end, continuara. And um, then. Uh, yeah, there's some other projects kind of brewing in the works, little things that are a little too early to talk about, but um, but definitely fun. One particular series uh, that I'm that I'm involved in, and then the other is a, a feature film. But those will be you know taking place after season three, um, and uh, and then you know just really kind of enjoying the ride right now and counting my blessings is there. They're right here in front of me. Um, I would like to say a quick shout out though for our guest stars. We have some pretty amazing guest stars in this, uh, in this episode, which is Gina Grishon mm-hmm. and Emilio Rivera, who is absolutely fantastic. Uh, and, uh, Donald Coran, and he's, he's amazing. And, uh, Mr. Carl Bressler, who, uh, you know, he pops up in there as our our Don Francisco Berg, the uh, the, the 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 Queen's announcer. <laughs> so it's um yeah it's it's he's he's actually got a pretty funny story. He's out to be the most amount of birds he can be in in the in the uh, Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> so uh, so his characters we always name people who who work with him. It's not a mandate, but we try to name him Berg. <laughs> uh, yeah, fantastic guy, fantastic actor as well. But yeah, so it's very, very uh, grateful to have that amazing, amazing cast in twelve and thirteen, along with our regular cast of you know Kalia Smith and Anastasia Baranova and Russell and Keith and all the guys. So Matt Sedano, um, Ten K, of course. Do I always call him Ten K? I really should call him Nat. I, guess, I, I don't know. For me, he's always Ten K. He really is. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> he was the. It was because the casting was absolutely perfect. Yes. That's true. That's totally true. Yeah. That's totally true. So. You yeah. Guys, well, thank you guys for having me on your show. I well, really appreciate it. Thank you so so much for joining us. Is there anywhere where fans can go online to keep up with all the projects that you're working on? Sure. You know, if they want to go to uh, www.abramcox.com, um, they can always check that out uh, anytime. Um, that's uh, that's my personal website. It kind of changes, and I'm sure it'll get overhauled in a little while here. Um, or just, uh, you know, IMDb or Twitter. Uh, I guess Twitter, uh, I'm not a really big Twitter guy i really should be everybody else tweets in the middle of the episode you know i'm i'm so i'm so bad at it that i i i usually find somebody who's pretty good at it and say hey can you just tweet for me while i do that and you'll, if you really you'll want me to read it i will them. <laughs> i think that's perfect i know i know i'm awful at it but that's at tc abram uh at T- yeah just tc abram so um yeah, that's <laughs> that's the other one. See, I don't even. I'm not even good at that stuff. Maybe I can like take some pointers on self promotion off of you guys. It'll it'll help me out. Well, again, thank you so so much for taking yes, the time to to you. call in. We know your production schedule is crazy busy, so thank you, thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure, my pleasure. You guys have a great night. You too. You too. Thank you so much. Take care. Well, he was a cool guy, and we got to rush through the rest of the episode. Yes. Um, so the other the other main thing that we need to talk about is Curian and Murphy yes. and their diabolical plan. And and I loved 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 the way that Abram shot 
the the scene where they reunite uh, and it's just Murphy and him in the laboratory. There are a lot of low angle shots. Mm-hmm. It's just, it was really cool. What did you think of this reunion? Because I know, like the first thing you said while we were watching it together was, "Hey, his makeup hasn't changed at all." I, I was a little sad because I had theorized that he the radiation would make him even more sick and the effects would have spread but I guess you know scarring doesn't really spread I just thought he would look a little more sickly um maybe as time goes on that'll be a contributing factor to his motivations and such yeah I thought it was interesting that they hatched this you know half brain scheme in Minnesota that um they're still sticking to after all of this time uh and that Dr. Curry and was comfortably, you know, experimenting with no real purpose or intention on humans or zombies. It wasn't really clear, but he had no remorse for that. It was just he had to make it look like he was doing something. Uh, so Louis yeah, he was get mad. essentially twiddling, like, shift the equivalent of, like, shifting papers around on your yeah. desk to make it look like you're being productive. But it was with organs and, and <laughs> bodies and no remorse and then Super Murphy's gross. finally there and they're like okay we're going to we're going to take over the world now i'm i'm don't know how i feel about murphy still being on board with this idea because he made a very good point that dr Curian has just been sitting comfortably in his lab essentially twiddling, twiddling his thumbs while murphy's been out there watching people he care about die and also cuz he's lost he lost you know a pie girl he, yep. you know, Serena. He he lost Cassandra, yes. and so he's had to watch the and and he had to he had to find a home for Lucy too. So in a sense, he's lost her, even though she's safe. He's lost her, and that's yeah. a little girl that's, that we're talking about. That's a really good thing to point out. In the entire span of this season, he had a family and lost it. Yeah. Very, very quickly. Because, yeah. yeah, he had Cassandra, who was his confidant, and then he had Serena, who was his his lady. His baby mama. His baby mama. And he had his little girl, Lucy. And in the span of probably 24 hours, he lost all of them. Yep. And then he had to continue going on. And even at the very beginning of this episode, he's still recovering from being shot and having a concussion. So he's been out there on the front lines, losing people he loves. And Dr. Curry is just been like, what took you so long? Right. Like, I've been here the whole time. And so, yeah. And granted, it's dangerous being in the company of the Zeros. But at the same time, it's like who's really had it worse in the span of time since they last saw each other. Because he's still, I mean, he's still badly burned, but he's pretty comfortable. Yeah, so I don't know how I felt about Murphy kind of being able, because he makes it very clear that he's angry, but he, he... goes right back into it. He's yep. still willing to go along with this half-brained scheme, as you put it. Because I think his self-preservation is still at the forefront, that he knows he's going to be experimented on, and if he can find a solution that doesn't cause him any self-harm, he's going to go for it, no matter how selfish yeah. it seems. I think we would be remiss if we didn't acknowledge the fact that he made someone do the thriller dance <laughs> um, with his mind control. That was pretty great. With the Michael Jackson move. And yeah, yeah no, that was because at first I thought he was going to make the zombie do the Macarena, but he, <laughs> making them do the thriller was far, was, far more appropriate. It was really great. It was. It was fantastic. Um, but the I. That that just shows, you know, Curian's true motivation, but it also kind of highlights the instability of the plan because this, you know, the when they knock this guy out and experiment on him, his first instinct was to lash out and attack Murphy. Yep. And Murphy's able to stop him, but he questions, why did he attack me? Why was that his first instinct? And Curian's was like, well, why were you able to stop him? And we know why he's able to stop them, but... It's it still was very disconcerting that Murphy had to stop him in the first place. Yes. So I still think that this plan that they have is going to backfire on them so so badly. Oh, definitely, because we also don't know if that was the only person he actually tested on, or if he found more people that were keeping watch in different parts of the compound facility space um, and tested on them, or if it was literally just the one and done. Where he was like, I have tested this and it works. And Lorraine is like, on who? What were you? What? On people? And he's like, uh, uh <laughs> about that. <laughs> it works. It totes works. 
So it's legit. Yeah, and again, this guy is such a mad scientist. I'm really glad that we got to talk to the actor who portrayed him a couple weeks ago yeah. um, to really get some insight on him because I look at him differently now. Mm-hmm. Every time he says anything about, you know, things being a means to an end or about, like, self-preservation, I always think back on, at one point, you were a decent human being, and and I want to know what happened. So it's it's going to be very interesting uh, to see if we get more of why he is the way he is and what yes. he's going to do moving forward. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. So should is there anything else you want to cover before we kind of move into uh, prediction territory? Nope, I think it's time for predictions. I think it's time for predictions, too. And now, you're after Buzz TV. Predictions. So it's very rare in the show where we get a legitimate two-parter. And uh, as angry as that makes me that I don't get my resolution right away, it is very exciting. And it looks like we have some very interesting stuff for the next episode. Because it looks like after whatever it is they do to Vasquez, which, poor Vasquez. Yes, I don't know if they actually do it or not. <laughs> yeah, but for whatever reason, La Reina seems to, or La Reina th- seems to think that this works. And it looks like she has lots of her men inoculated with this so supposed vaccine. Yes. So how long until either Murphy turns her troops against her or the troops turn against Murphy? What do you think is the most likely outcome? Or both? I don't know. I think it depends on if Lorena, you know, if her self-preservation is so high that she demands to be inoculated from the virus as one of the first people because then he could control her and then it could play out in a very different way than if he was, you know, opposing her. If it was kind of him against her with a mixture of people that have been given the H1Z1 (laughs) vaccine. So I think it's very dependent on that, but I do feel like he's going to control them and at some point it's going to backfire um, and then Warren's going to save the day. Yeah, because we've seen that his powers have limitations. So I'm wondering, first of all, if the people who get quote-unquote inoculated if they are kind of like half zombie in the way that Ma and Pa Kettle and Cassandra were, or if it's if the effects are only temporary or if um, Murphy's ability to control them is limited in some way, shape, or form. And it also could be that, like, with every, with the amount, like, if the amount of people inoculated increases, if that means his ability to control each of them diminishes in some way. Yeah, because it's also, it's not just his blood, and we've only seen what his actual blood has done. Um, It's his blood mixed with other things. Exactly. And we have one commenter on the the live chat. Outcome. King the Murphy. (laughs) El Murphy. In that beautiful outfit. Exactly. In that uh, matador outfit, which is hilarious. I will say that the... The, the kind of cliffhanger that the promo left us on was Warren being about to be inoculated and Murphy looking really distressed. Yes. And I like that he doesn't want Warren to be inoculated in this way uh, because they have their differences. And we see that again in this episode. You know, they, they go back and forth. And I'm sure he didn't appreciate her bluff at the beginning of the episode. Probably not. No, probably not. And she certainly didn't appreciate his kind of sitting on his own tiny little throne. Where's my flower? Exactly. (laughs) So even though they have their differences, he still, I think, genuinely respects her. And yeah, he wants to stay alive, but he also cares about them. As reluctant as he is to admit it, I think he does care about them deep, deep Deep down. down. (laughs) Under all of that sarcasm and disdain for humanity. And I feel like, unless he felt like he had to, he wouldn't want to do that to any of them in the same way that he felt like he had to for Cassandra. And so, like, the fact that he's like, no, no, no. Like, he doesn't want to control his friends. He would only probably want to do that as a very last-ditch resort to save them. Yes. 
So I think that's very interesting, and I, I kind of like seeing the Murphy-Warren dynamic as it is, and I want to see it continue to develop. And a lot of people have been asking in the hashtag and also on the live chat whether or not we think Vasquez is going to make it through these next few episodes. That's a coin toss at this point. I think he will. I'm kind of more coming to terms with the fact that Emilio Rivera will not be in season three. That's just my <laughs> guess. Um, it's just whether or not he dies in the next episode or if he dies by the end of the yeah, season. No, he looked like he was one of the people getting inoculated. So I think that he's either going to meet his end at the end of this next episode or he will probably meet his end by the time the season's done. Which just makes me so sad. I know. He's so cool. He's great. <laughs> He's just He's awesome. Such a good actor. But yeah, I, I feel like we're going to see an end of El Scorpion. I think Vasquez is going to stick around a little longer. Yep. I think that Warren is going to find a way to get him out of this mess and that he is going to feel like he owes her one he might get denied his revenge, but he's probably going to feel like he owes Warren one for saving him. And I do think that he is going to become more and more a part of this group. Yes. Watch. He dies next episode, and that prediction is completely uh, wrong. <laughs> I hope not. But anyway, um, any do, other thoughts? I do kind of just drawing from past episodes and how things keep working out. Uh, the group moves into a location, and then all hell breaks loose. And they kind of leave a very big mess in their wake. A smoldering wreckage. I don't know how realistic it is, but there's a very real chance that they could cripple the Zeros with this whole little (laughs) shenanigan thing going on in the next episode. They could cripple the Zeros, or they could get out by the skin of their teeth and have the Zeros gunning for them for the rest of the season. Either either one of those outcomes. It's going to be one of the two. Equally likely. And I can't wait. I, know, I can't wait to see the end of this two-parter. Well, anyway, guys, we want to know what you guys think is going to happen in the next episode at the end of this. So please leave your comments in uh, the little comment area below. We want to know what you guys thought of this episode and what you think is going to happen. So, again, thank you guys so, so much for joining us. Yes. Michelle, where can people go if they want to find you? If you want to find me, you can follow me on Twitter at Michelle underscore Cullen. And you guys can remember to follow Katie on Twitter as well at yes. Kiaxet. That's K-I-A-X-E-T. Yay, I got it. Yes. Uh, and you guys can follow me on Twitter at The Mengwin. That's T-H-E-M-E-N-G-U-I-N. I'm also on a bunch of shows here at AfterBuzz, including Ash vs. Evil Dead later on tonight. Thank you so much to everybody on the hashtag, everybody on the live chat. You guys are just the best. You are. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you all next time. From executive producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network. To watch or listen to other After shows and post comments or questions, be sure to visit AfterBuzzTV.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of AfterBuzz TV. Live la vida loca. The views expressed herein are those of the host only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.